Alright, so this is the beginning on a series on the catechizing parents, which sounds very confusing, but it really is um, focusing on how and why parents should engage in the art of catechism, which sounds like something very Catholic or perhaps something that's, you know, very out of the ordinary. But it actually is something that we're instructed to do, but the reality is it is done very poorly if it's done at all. I'm going to talk about what those are and what those risks are, and then very high level to introduce this series, what does that effectively mean? So we know all the way back in Deuteronomy that there is an instruction for parents. Now, granted, while this is about the law, we know that Old Testament and New Testament come are seamless together, and Jesus talking about Jesus isn't necessarily uh, in opposition to the law. But it says in Deuteronomy 11:19, you shall teach them, referring to God's words, um, his laws, them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So obviously this is something that you're not supposed to do once. You're not supposed to outsource to somebody. You're not supposed to do occasionally. This is something that's supposed to be done well, and in part of that is to do often. And so I'll talk about what is the, 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 the challenge of that and why it's so critical to do that, but also that there are many challenges that really are assaulting your children as they grow, whether it's changes in the, in the teachers, even if they're well-intentioned, and it can extend all the way to youth leaders or pastors who also may be well-intentioned and may be well-learned, but, 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 and, and the media. But all of those things we have seen, there are cracks in those. If you're not aware of it, they can be led down to something that isn't actually the full gospel. And oftentimes, that's actually growing. And, and we, we, we see that it, it is hard to do. For the message or the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So really, it is the only thing that ultimately needs to take root. But because it is very easy to misunderstand it, to dismiss it, because it is folly, and which means it, it is not something that everybody immediately grasps. And so this is where uh, a lot of the risks emerge. In fact, I believe that the risks are actually going to continue to grow. Because in the end, the counter-narratives, the counter-stories, again, whether told by Christians or told by the world, are going to actually tailor themselves more and more to the interests and personality of your children. It's very possible they could immerse themselves in that which is godly or mentions God. It comes from a church and it has nothing to do with the cross and that in the end they will perish. And, and so I think it's also not just understanding because you could say many people are very legalistic about it. So they understand it in concept, but they don't live it out. Neither of those are actually very good. So while the risks are rising, meaning there's more media, more tailored media, and, and actually I would say a, a, a plethora of different false gospels that are, that are sprouting, all of them slightly different, but all of them with a tinge of what the gospel is, and they call themselves the gospel, and they sound great, and they, they feel good, 
but but many of them actually are lies and will lead to destruction. And if you don't have discernment, and if they're not around people who have that discernment, many well-intentioned people can actually lead them down to the way of destruction. Countering this is that many parents, as they become more busy due to the nature of the workforce and the economy, they're also less well-trained, and some of them started from the get-go with a poor foundation to begin with now have a much shakier ground to start on to try to actually catechize their, 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 their children. So we should first talk about, you know, what is it? We'll give a high framework and we're going to go into more depth about how to do it, why doing it, what are the challenges. But, but I want to start to set the framing of what it is. So I first said at the end of the day, what is it? If I had to simplify it, it is the message of the cross. That is the full gospel. And many people will not do it. Many people don't understand it. Many people go to church for years and will never, ever actually hear it. Or they can retell it, but they don't live it. They can say it, but they're actually living under the law, and they treat people under the law, or they never actually return to it. And so they don't have the power of God. So so what else is it? What's the other component, which I think many people uh, don't realize is important, and it starts now, comes from 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Oh, I said this wrong. Against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so I would say that there are many people who can go through church, they attend the services, but when it comes down to very subtle presentations of things that seem like the gospel, they aren't done. And you know, the argument that's perhaps the hardest, so there might be you know, sort of ranging from totally false teachers to sort of slightly off teachers, that that can kind of throw them. There's just the secular world, so it can be their friends, certainly university, their media. Those are arguments that kind of shake the ground and, and really begin shaking the ground of their kids once they actually learn to read or in school and are watching television. But the last one is also the arguments that we tell ourselves. And ultimately, if we're not careful, we're laying down those very arguments to our kids that will lead them down to destruction in the way we teach, in the way we model it, in the way that we actually implement it. And so I want to sort of say this this is not something to take lightly. Because the, the harder it is for them to, to grab hold of it, the harder of it, it will be to um, take root. And so the best illustration for this is from the very familiar parable of the sower. And thinking about where do your kids lie? And, and you are really the first part of instructing on the word of the kingdom. And so any instruction where they're failing is really our responsibility. So for Matthew 13, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, uh, oh, that's for the second one. So, so the first part is does not understand. So, so we don't really control that at the end of the day. Right? So if we go back to John, the spirit will move where it will land and is God's sovereign. So it is possible your child may never understand it, no matter how great of an instructor you are. But 
you also could be presenting it wrong such that they don't understand it. And so we can do our part, and while it's sovereign, God's will is sovereign, making it confusing or not presented certainly doesn't aid their chances. They very well could. Many people were raised in non-Christian homes such as myself, and I came to understand it. And honestly, as I grew, I think I started to understand it as well, if not better, than those who were raised from the get-go. And so so there is God's sovereignty, but we play that role. So let's take a look at what else happens. So, so what was sown on a rocky ground? This is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself and endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this can really be seen as a very common trajectory for young children. They hear it. Maybe they're enjoying it in uh, Sunday school. But how often has it been when once they start to hit their teenage years or college years, suddenly they endure for a while, but the tribulation or persecution occurs and they fall away. Or perhaps they make it through. They have a great uh, youth um, experience in, in college or high school. But then, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So, if it wasn't sown well, there was no good foundation, very quickly they enter the work world, and they have the cares of the world, they chase riches, deceitfulness of riches, and that gets choked, and they're also undone. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and he indeed bears fruits and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So that is what the challenges are. We know what the basis of catechism is, which is we make sure that it absolutely includes the message of the cross, and it really is um, an anticipation of all the arguments that may come, such that they are equipped to destroy the arguments, for that is all that they will be seeing. So who does it and how is it done? So at the start, if we look at Titus 2, 3 through 5, clearly it states that it is the man in the household, and presumably there's a family, if there's a husband and a, and, and a wife, if we look at this, this is an instruction to elders, but I mean, I think it's it, who are just who are, who are primarily males. But uh, I think we can also see that certainly in the in families where there's a husband who would be the male figure. So likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husband, so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, while that most of that looks like it's referencing Mosaic law in behavior, I think we can still extract, well, since the cross is not in opposition, in fact, Christ came to fulfill the law, those aren't in opposition to each other. But the, the takeaway is that someone owns teaching the older women, and that's a male. And so within the family construct, that is the, the, the male. But, but that's also in, in, in Paul in Ephesians. For what does he say when he talks about their, their responsibilities in marriage? He says that he might sanctify her. And this is part of his definition of loving the wife, which is often overlooked. 
But this is actually a big part of it, is that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So this is not giving them a bath. This is sanctifying them by instructing them in the word. So we'll see that it starts with the male, but both need to do it together. But there's clearly some element where the the male uh, figure in the household, and this if you know if it's a husband and wife, the husband um, partakes in that. But then both need to be capable of doing this. And we're going to take a look at well a little bit. We've talked about some of the the missteps that are done, and we're going to try to examine uh, how can this be done um, as easily as possible within the household. So uh, this is the overview of the series and hope that uh, you'll continue with through the rest of it as we go through um, how uh, to create catechizing parents. And I don't know, probably a better title is something I have to come up with as I go through this.